Thank you so much for allowing me to minister to you. And that is my hope this morning. I, I hope to encourage you as I myself have been encouraged in the study of the Word. And so I come to you uh, bringing the topic of brotherly love from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so I, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm also grateful to be able to share some of the ministry as Eric, as Pastor Eric said Thankful that later that will happen in the Bible study so we can concentrate on God's Word at this time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I just want to bring to you two principles as the Apostle Paul uh, exhorts and encourages the Thessalonians on the topic of brotherly love at this point in the passage of his uh, letter to them, his first letter to them. And um, I, I want to bring to you two principles that Paul draws out in brotherly love, and that is its practice and its potential. And I hope that we can recognize God's standard for His church. It is a very high standard because of God's holiness and because of God's glory in Christ. And yet, as we see God's standard for love, we will be, Lord willing, convinced of how we are unable to meet that standard and thereby rush to Christ and be thankful for Christ's obedience and for our lives in Christ. And so that is the goal this morning, and that is what Paul strives to communicate to the Thessalonians. So let me read our passage, and then we can dive into its details, Lord willing, and comment on it so we can be edified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-12. to The Apostle Paul writes, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we have commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in in any need. Our topic this morning then is brotherly love, and we're going to consider its practice and its potential. As lawlessness is on the increase, and and most people's love grows colder. To borrow from Jesus' words to His disciples, in Matthew 24, 24-12, particularly the Olivet Discourse, looking to a still future time of His return, we, we this morning want to focus especially on the love of the brethren. Our subject again for this morning. Peter, Peter as well echoes this future concern for love, for the church's need for fervent love. As the world grows deeper into sin and lesser in love, Peter will say, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. Love of the brethren. Your own, our own love for one another is then forever a must according to God's Word and according to His church and design for His church in Christ. And because of this, my prayer again is that we will be exhorted and encouraged, convicted to go forevermore 
to abide in Christ. To be more Christ-like in order to live out this love. Because as we'll see as we go forward in our passage, this is a difficult love to live out. And so we praise God for Christ's perfect obedience, life, death, and resurrection at the cross in order to fulfill this love for us. We need to hear this word from the Lord again as we gather for worship. We, as Christ's body, the church, are commanded to love one another. And so, we want to understand what, this, what, what that love is. What that is and what it looks like practically from our text as we prepare to, again, unearth its essential truth. As far as brotherly love is concerned, then from our passage from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9-12, through 12, Paul, as I said, just to help us with clarity situate us in our passage and in the context, Paul will give us two principles to help apply the truth about loving our fellow believers to our lives. First, we're going to be looking at its practice, principle number one. And secondly, we're going to be looking at its potential, principle number two. Love the brethren because you're commanded to practice brotherly love. And love the brethren because through its practice, brotherly love holds the potential to make you excel still more to greater gospel witness, greater Christ-likeness, and to a life that pleases God, lives holy, and waits expectantly for Christ's second coming. Paul will exhort the Thessalonians as we simply situate our context in his first letter to them. As we walk through our passage then, Chapters nine, excuse me, verses 9 through 10 of chapter 4, beginning verse 10, we'll focus on the practice. And then following the second half of verse 10 to verse 12, we'll concentrate on its potential, almost as though practice results in potential. Very interesting that Paul immediately starts with practice because as we know, we are the only ones that can practice love because of Christ and in Christ. And so, Automatically, if you will, we are a body that practices it. This is not about necessarily beginning. This is about practicing because in Christ and what Christ has done for us means you are able to practice it. As we walk through our passage, we'll observe the underlying definition that Paul gives to brotherly love, love of the brethren. At its heart, at its heart, Brotherly love is an obedient love. Brotherly love is a responsible love. Just fleshing it out. This is the the undercurrent that goes through our two principles and by which love is practiced and by which, through its practice, love is then a potential such that it grows more and more. At its heart, brotherly love is responsible. We're talking about a love that is defined and demarcated by responsibility. And we heard it in our text. The call to practice it and the potential that follows from the practice of it to its purpose at the end of the passage all highlight this as a love that leads to a life of responsibility. Your walk with Christ, and in Christ, in other words, is a Christian life, a life of discipleship, As a follower of Christ, abiding in Christ, studying Christ, being more Christ-like so that ultimately you become a blessing to the brethren and to the world. As we'll see, this is 
a love that begins among the brethren, but echoes out, sounds forth throughout all the world. You walk with Christ as a disciple in loving by abiding in Christ. This is how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love them by our own commitment to a life lived in the body of Christ and out of the body of Christ that is marked by a responsibility, being responsible and being obedient. We, 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 we can simply look at our passage again and we hear it as, as we're situating its context and simply doing an overview. Paul says in verse 11, we heard it read. Paul instructs the Thessalonians to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands. The Thessalonians have been commanded to live this life. This so that, verse 12, they will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Herein lies the responsibility that is at the core of brotherly love. This is in fact a brotherly love that holds within it, if you will, an actual love for the world. This is how you love the world, by acting out this love responsibly, obediently. Hence, while loving the brethren is your priority as a believer, you are in addition to go beyond the church and take your love to the world. To love as Jesus loved and to love as God commanded love of neighbor in His law. And here we go back to Old Testament law. In living out this kind of love and excelling in it still more, you are winning favor before all men and God. This is how Luke describes Jesus' growth, you remember? During His own lifetime here on earth. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, Luke 2.52. Paul tells Timothy to urge the church to first of all entreat and pray to petitions and thanksgivings that these be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead, listen, carefully, a quiet, a, a, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Shortly thereafter, Paul will add, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 3. Shortly there, shortly then, then what we see in, in short is that love of the brethren then sounds forth and abounds. To love for the world. A gospel love. Brotherly love has its eye on the world just as much as it has its eye on the church. It excels to providing for the world for neighbor and all who see it a testimony of faithful prayer and thanksgiving for all men as it loves brother and neighbor principally by leading a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. As the Savior of the world will then use that kind of life based on that kind of love, brotherly love, to sound forth His saving message of Christ, drawing all those that believe to truth and salvation. And by application, this is so true, I'm certain, for your life here in the U.S., for my life in Italy. I, I can witness and, and love my neighbor by sharing the gospel to my Roman Catholic neighbor. And while he may receive that, most often he is looking at my life. He is looking at whether I love Christ myself and I live in Christ first and foremost. He is looking at my integrity, my sincerity, my own love. 
By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13.35 So interesting in this context that Christ will fulfill the ultimate sacrifice, ultimate love, sacrificial love that you and I are unable. And no man is able to fulfill for He fulfills it for us, for all those who believe whom God has chosen in Christ. And yet as He is instructing His disciples to love based on His love, abiding in His love and according to His love, these disciples are at the point of abandoning Him. Shortly thereafter, as you know, in the Passion, they will deny Him. All, some more, some less. And yet he is calling them to love and loving them by dying for them in their stead, in their place. This is the nature of the love we're talking about. As we'll see more and more in our passage. In talking about love for the brethren, then we are in essence talking about the second greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22.39 Jesus is here heard of replying to the Pharisee, you recall, who asked him, what was the greatest commandment in the law? Love for God is first. Love for neighbor, brother and neighbor, all men in other words, is second. Just a word about our immediate context in 1 Thessalonians 4 as we draw closer in into the context to our passage. Paul is talking about sanctification as he begins chapter 4. Encouraging the Thessalonians to live a life that pleases God. Notice how he defines sanctification. Make it your ambition, we could say, as he says in his other epistles, beginning chapter 4. His final recommendations as he closes this letter, chapter 4, beginning chapter 4 and closing in chapter 5. A sanctification that then focuses in our, on our topic about love to then speak of Christ's second coming, the end times. Notice, we are called and we live in love. That is the, that is the basis of our existence until Christ comes. We do nothing but love, but grow in love until His return and we are unashamed, so to speak. Love is part of sanctification. Love is part of pleasing God and Christ. And so we love first and foremost because we love Christ and are loved by Christ. And so with these thoughts... We drop into our passage, brotherly love, it's practice, verses 9 and 10, first part of verse 10a. With that said, let's go to our text and look at the practice of the love of the brethren first, verses 9 through 10a. First, verse 9 begins by addressing our theme, brotherly love. Very clear, very obvious, if you will. Paul writes, now, as to the love of the brethren, he signals, signals a new topic or the progressive further development of sanctification, as I said, begun in chapter 4, but now its focus, brotherly love, is defined here as family love. The literal term is Philadelphia, which was also understood in the ancient world as meaning love among members of the same family unit. This was a love for one's siblings or blood-related brothers and sisters. We, as you know, in Italy, know this family love. Family. The family is everything, right? And then, of course, you accuse us of being the mafia family. And there's a truth to that. But that just sounds forth the principle of how important family ties are. And I'm sure even here in the U.S., perhaps, 
And yet in the New Testament, we see the term adopt a new meaning that is specifically related to believers. That is to relationships within God's family that are predicated on the Spirit. Our spiritual bond. It's interesting again how Paul begins our, 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 our passage and his last recommendations in chapter 4, like I said, for one, focusing on pleasing God, and then just before, in verse 8 of chapter 4, our immediate context, he talks about us having the Spirit, having been given, bestowed the Spirit. This hence all emphasizes the importance of spiritual relationships and a spiritual love. Spiritual priority. I have a responsibility to my brothers in the flesh, mother and father and sister or brother, but I have utmost responsibility to my church family. You're my priority. You're my priority. And so we see this term, adopt a spiritual character. A priority is now given to love between brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a mutual or reciprocal love. Let's listen to another passage. Paul in Romans 12.10. I'll read it for you. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. This is what we're practicing. For the Christian then, Philadelphia implies an instinctive based on the new nature responsibility towards others, devotion towards others. I am others-oriented. It is so wonderful to see your fellowship. The many times that I've come here, you are a model in that. And yet, the question for all of us, and for you especially in that fellowship is, are you devoted to one another? For the Christian then, Philadelphia is... A love that goes others-oriented. As members of Christ's body, Philadelphia means we are others-oriented. In fact, if we were to go on in Romans 12, in our Romans 12 citation, just a little further, and I'll continue reading for you. Paul explains, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, Practicing hospitality, Romans 12, verses 12 and 13. And you say, that is tremendous. Who does this? How many times do I fail at this? If I were to look at my own heart and my own actions, you know, one of the benefits of traveling without your wife is that you could say anything you want. And she will not be here to correct you and say, no, no, no. Listen, I know him. So I could say, hey, I am the model of love. Why are you laughing? <laughs> but you know, that's why you're laughing. Because you say, no, you're not. And if my wife were here, she would say, no, you're not. And I have to be honest. And this is where we, the Spirit convicts us and say, no, I'm not but neither are you. And that is why this passage is so strong, because it glorifies Christ. Paul will go on 
In fact, this is how he begins Romans 12. Remember, he says, this is what presenting our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God and rendering ourselves to a spiritual service of worship. Practical theology that Paul invokes at the beginning of Romans 12, 12.1. After he has discussed the nature of God's so great salvation for all those who believe, who have been chosen, Romans 12, the first 11 chapters, 12 focuses on this. And you say, what is a spiritual service of sacrifice? Do I go off into some remote place on a mountain and meditate and leave this sin-cursed world so that I'm not contaminated and I'm super spiritual and holy? We have that in Italy. They're called monks. And yet, they bring their sin with them. So this doesn't mean going above the clouds, so to speak, and being a super spiritual wizard or monk. This means humbling ourselves, recognizing how sin and how we are still in the presence of the flesh and how much we need Christ and brother and church. And means dying to ourselves, as I'm sure you know, and then serving. But you say, man, You know, you don't know Him. You don't know Him. You know how hard it is to love Him? You don't know her. Do you know what she did to me? That may be true, but the call is to love. The call is to give ourselves to Christ and say, Lord, help me love Him despite Him. Help me love Him despite me. And so if you think this is hard, you are so right. And so that is why you're in the right place. I'm in the right place under the Word of God. So what about this brotherly love? Before Paul goes any further, he says something that is key to the beginning of our passage and first principle about its practice. The Thessalonians have no need for anyone to write to them. Again, verse 9, beginning of verse 9. This does not literally mean that the Thessalonians do not have to hear about the subject as though it were unimportant. Rather, it's a strong statement to encourage them. The statement highlights the value and valor, if you will, of the love already practiced among the Thessalonians. It would be like us today saying to someone who's already demonstrated a, an expertise, meaning I've told you over, meaning an expertise in this area, I've told you over and over again, you've got this. Why have they got this? Very interesting. It's it's almost as though this love crushes them and yet He's encouraging them. Because in Christ, you've got its practice. You can do it in Christ. Not in you. And so this is is an encouraging statement as as He presents the significance of this love, the standard, God's standard. He says, Almost as though he's saying, come on, you got this. You already know how this is done. I don't have to tell you. We would add to this as Paul will in our second principle. Go out there and keep doing it. Do it even better. Continue to grow in that. Continue to die to self and give yourself to others. Stop contemplating your navel. 
serve. Be humbled. Die. Be corrected. Be teachable. Grow. And as you grow, you say, I could never do this. But then you praise Christ and God to say, He's making me do it. I can. Paul will say this very thing to them shortly when at the beginning of chapter 5, in addressing the end times theme of the day of the Lord, he'll write, he'll use the same expression. Now as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Very interesting. He, he, he's taught them so well. And he's done this, as we'll see, and we'll touch on it, that he's simply reminding them, this is hard, but pointing you to Christ, you can do it. You have no excuses, so to speak. If you look at yourself, you have all the excuses possible, but you are inexcusable because Christ died for you. The life you live is the life in Christ. Paul will say to the Galatians, I no longer live, but I live the life now by faith in Christ. What about brotherly love then? The Thessalonians know full well about it. How do they know? Why do they know? Well, already implicit in that strong statement is the fact that they have been doing brotherly love. They are models, in other words, of loving the brethren. This is, this is an exemplary, exemplary church that Paul is charging to love still more. Practice, finish the sentence, makes perfect. And so notice from... My, notice what my expectancy in Christ is about. It's about me growing more Christ-like and practicing and practicing and practicing till He comes. The Thessalonians are not perfect, nor will they ever be in their sanctification here in this present-day salvation and walk with Christ. But their own practice makes them know love. Know by experience what brotherly love is. I know what it means. I can help you. I've suffered the same situation. I've been humbled. I've had to die to self, so to speak. I can help in this situation. As you tell other brothers who are not loving as they should. This grows. You have such a potential as we'll see in Christ and in the body. Paul's initial statement here at the beginning of verse 9 is thus meant as a praise to them and for them for their devotion to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Please notice the implication here for all of us in the church. God's church, with Christ as its head, you at this gathering, me in Rome. What I'll say is so simple and yet it's so profound because it's from the Bibles. It's Scripture. You must be devoted to your brother in Christ. As Christ was devoted to you, so you must be devoted to your brother in Christ. That is the meaning of Philadelphia practically. We certainly know fellowship in our churches and are very grateful for this and welcome more of it. But again, let me ask you all this morning by way of application, do you know devotion? Fellowship, you come, gather, shake hands. That is great. And then you leave and go back to your life and say, well, back in my week, by application. And yet, that's not love. There's more. It's devotion, devoted to one another, as we even heard Paul back in Romans 12. 
Are you devoted to your spiritual family? Are you fervently preferring and pursuing them in love, brotherly love? Are you loving without hypocrisy? Are you giving preference to one another in honor? Are you diligent and fervent in the Spirit, in the Spirit that is indwelling you, in serving the other? Are you rejoicing with others, persevering with them in tribulation, devoted to them in prayer, contributing, sensitive to their needs, practicing hospitality, boring from Romans 12? You say, that again is a truckload. And I say, yes. And that's why you have to be here. That's why you have to worship and be submitted to your leadership. That's why you have to go through the one and others. Because you are not sufficient, but in Christ, you can grow. So it's about coming to spiritual maturity. That is the church. Notice again, digging into our context, that the Thessalonians would have first learned this from Paul. And the missionary team that witnessed to them, we don't have time to develop this, but if we were to go back just briefly to chapter 2, Paul himself expresses to the Thessalonians and explains to them how he founded the church or was used of God to found the Thessalonian church. Chapter 2, verse 7, I'll read it for you. He says, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Notice verse 8. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own lives, because you had become so very dear to us. That, friends, brothers and sisters, is loving. I'm I'm not interested in firing verses at you. I'm interested in really caring for you, body, soul, spirit. I know you see this from your pastors. And this is how you should pray for your pastors. But this is how you should follow their example. And listen when they speak and give words of counsel. Because this is the devotion they're giving to you. This is the devotion that builds the body of Christ. Relationships of trust. And grows us to maturity and has us both clinging to Christ. Because we want to change. We want to change. I don't come here arrived. That is what love is doing. And notice how emotions are a part of it. There's an affection. But it's not an emotional drive. It's not romantic either. It's responsible. Meaning, I have to be more like Christ. And I can You are very dear to us, says Paul. Brotherly love, please hear me out, is at its heart and core substance, gospel love. Gospel love. That is what love is. You can only love if Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you have humbled yourself in repentance and faith and abandoned your sin and embraced Christ. God's grace in Christ by faith. And so if you're here today and you're listening to this message, you say, I, I don't even, I don't have this. Then you say, welcome, good, come. Christ bids you to come, to humble yourself today in repentance and faith. And if you have this message, continue humbling yourself. Continue seeking out Christ by His power in you and the Spirit. Proclamation of the death 
of the life, perfect life as we heard, death and resurrection of Christ. Not as the word of men, do you remember? But for what it truly is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, that is how the Thessalonians received the word. And we have here God's sovereignty, election. It is His work doing this, of course. And the love just flows, and it grows, and it must grow. Paul will continue to say in the rest of verse 9, beginning verse 10, the Thessalonians practice love among themselves because, notice, they are taught by God. This is a unique expression only used here in the New Testament, especially. It essentially means that the Thessalonians trainer, the one who trains them in growing in love, is really God Himself. In verse 8 of our chapter, just going back to the immediate context, we've already said it. Paul has spoken of God as the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. The emphasis then is on a spiritual practice of love as a gift from God's Spirit. That The more you love, the more you recognize this is the Spirit in you. God is teaching you ultimately through your pastors, through other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are growing ever more as a model. Mature. It is the Spirit of Christ being outpoured. This is new covenant love. Do you remember? John 7, verses 38 and 39. Jesus says, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this He spoke of the Spirit whom, who believed in Him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is... The love that God teaches the believer reaches brotherly love. In verse 10, as we move forward, we see the potential. Paul will say, for indeed you practice it toward all the brethren who are in all or in the whole of Macedonia. And here we move from our first principle to our second. The potential. Notice, the more you love like this, family love, but implication sacrificially you will be used of God as an instrument. As you change, you are changing others as God's instrument. You're being used beyond your church. There is simply an inexpressible potential for this kind of love that efficaciously, in divine manner, abounds beyond the confines of our very relationships in the local body to strengthen the church universal. Although the text is not mentioned here, the context probably makes the case for a love the Thessalonians displayed to the Macedonians by way of financial help. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 will bring this out more so. Hence, to be used by this, notice you are yourself being responsible, loving, and you yourself have resources to give both time, your your own self in service, and even your finances. Brotherly love, it's practice. Brotherly love, we close with its potential. Second half of verse 10 to verse 12. We move to our second and last principle this morning. Paul tells the, a church that is already modeling this kind of love to excel still more. Second half of verse 10. Do you not simply love this? No pun intended. Rather than pat them on the back, as we would say, and leave them at the level of praise for the practice, he calls them still more to the potential of this love, that this love performs in those who believe. That Christ performs 
But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. The phrase is said with urgency. He is coming back. That is the point of of the Thessalonian correspondence. It's faith amidst Christ's return. It seems to be an echo of Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 3. That Christ, that God will that the Lord will cause the Thessalonians to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, and that He established their hearts without blame in holiness at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The concept or potential, nonetheless, is still more profound. Paul urges the Thessalonians to excel still more and further explains this by calling them to make it their ambition. Notice how he, he lays on brick upon brick. You say, well, Excel still more. How can this get any stronger? Just make it your ambition. I'm doing this. Have I arrived? No. You need to continue to humble yourself and study Christ to be used in Christ's body. Keep growing. Keep loving. Keep changing. Until He comes. Until He returns. Both expressions Excel still more and make it your ambition. Second half of verse verse 10 to verse 11. Both expressions call for, if you will, we could call this a holy, holy dissatisfaction with your faith and status quo, with your love for Christ. A holy dissatisfaction with status quo faith. This is not a complaint nor lack of contentment. I'm not trying to manipulate you. This is simply the reality of knowing that based on what Christ has done for us and by His power and by His Spirit, we have so much to grow. And This has nothing to do with us falling short because we understand we're falling short, but it has to do with Christ because of Him and in Him encouraging us to get up and keep going. giving ourselves more to Him. This calls for the desire that is built into brotherly love by the Spirit that is growth. It means growing in what you are already commanded to do. Love the brethren. In 2 Thessalonians 1, very interesting, Paul will commend them this time by saying, 2 Thessalonians 1, we are always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting Because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 The Thessalonians persevere in their love for one another even amidst growing afflictions. This is the love that that helps us face trials. It is through this love that you go through trials. You don't face them on your own. Through this love, Christ and the brethren... Paul will say to the Thessalonians, do you remember? Just encapsulating all this love, there were people in 2 Thessalonians 3 that were saying, well, he's coming back. That means we don't need to work. Just hang out and, 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 and study Scripture or be super spiritual, so to speak. Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Go say that in Italy today. They'll accuse you of just being cold-hearted. But the truth is that we are responsible as we give ourselves. 
before we go any further, however, consider all this talk of excelling in ambition. Sounds like successful Christian living. Please do not misunderstand. Hints of prosperity or anything to do with me, please do not misunderstand. The Thessalonians are to be exhorted and they excel and are ambitious because Christ has provided the way. Again, this is gospel love. Notice how Paul ends, again, focusing on responsibility. What am I to do? Am I to go out and tackle the world? That can be a potential. But really, what you're to do, there's three essential areas, again, as this potential will be used, as this practice will be used for potential, verses 11, leading a quiet life, attending to your own business, working, working hard with your hands, so to speak. And in the context, being tested through trials. All of this, all of this brings you to love and excel still more in your love. That is the goal. May Christ help us. And it's in His name we want to pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word and for this call to a high standard, Lord. And yet, we thank You for Your perfect life and death and resurrection that has made that possible. And so we come to you pleading, help us to grow and change us to be more Christ-like. I pray for this particular body as they grow to maturity, shepherded by faithful shepherds. In Jesus' name, amen.